Welcome to the Hypothalamic Amenorrhea Podcast. I'm Danny Sheriff, your host, certified fertility awareness practitioner, functional nutrition counselor, and founder of the HA Society, and of course, an HA recovery coach who has walked where you currently are walking. This is the place to come if you care about getting your period regularly. This podcast aims to educate, inform, and keep you motivated on your period and HA recovery track. So let's dive in. But last thing, nothing on the show should be taken as medical advice. So please seek the advice of your physician. Are you listening to this show hoping to get some golden nuggets to help you on your way to recovery? Well, great. I hope that you find them because that is exactly what this show is for. But if you really want to take your recovery all the way, completely commit and get on track with your goals, whether they be finally feeling overall healthy, finally getting pregnant, or finally getting back to training, you'll want to join us inside of the HA Society. Not only is this the perfect community to ask questions and get your support and the accountability that you so often need during these uphill battles with body image and understanding nutrition and incorporating exercise, but it's also a hub of exclusive resources for HAs. All of the HA podcast episodes are released in advance and completely ad-free, so you can listen on the go to the raw, unedited versions uninterrupted. All of the one-on-one coaching calls, of which we have two a week in different time zones, are uploaded to our private podcast feed so that you can listen to events with practitioners and the past community calls as though they were bonus podcast episodes, because I know how much you love to listen to this kind of stuff. And in these calls, we cover requested topics like overcoming the weight gain fears, communicating with friends and family about RHA, diving into how HA works and debunking the imposter syndrome that so many of us have around this diagnosis. There's also an entire resources section with lectures, workshops, and training from the past events that are hosted by experts like Sarah Liz King, Laura Lyons, Kaylee McDevitt, Holly Dunn, and many more. As a member, you also get direct access to myself and Coach Ashley in the DMs. So if you have personal questions or need individualized advice about your recovery, we're in there answering your questions in the DMs, as are all of our other members in the group who impress me week after week with how they show up for each other. It's incredible. It's like women are just all becoming mini coaches for each other. It's so good. The HA Society is really the place to be if you're going through recovery, no matter what stage you're at, whether you have HA We've got a few recovery periods, we have your back, and we're all your new best friends. So come and meet us at thehasociety.com forward slash join. That's thehasociety.com forward slash join, and the link is in the show notes for you. Okay, on with the show. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the HA podcast. I have a exciting guest today, guys. I have a recovery story, which is everybody's favorite type of episode. Um, And I have Shannon here. Hello, Shannon. Hey, Danny. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. Um, You've been around a while. I feel like you probably listened to the podcast back when it was like at the very beginning. Is that accurate? 
Yeah, I've yeah. been here for the whole ride, like okay. early joining the HA Society. Yeah, yes. it's been a minute. Yeah, the whole thing. Exactly. Yes. Um, so it's cool to have you finally on the show sharing your story. I'm gonna get you um get you to tell everyone, but you know, you've been recovered a while, uh, but we've stayed in contact for for you know different things, but there's more to your, I'm, I'm excited to get you to share a bit more of your story, not just from um, recovery, but also where you are at today. Like how, how long post-recovery do you think you are now? Gosh. So my age story has been off and on since I was probably 17 and I'm 29. So in that 10 to 12 year window, I've gotten periods on and off, but I think my most recent sustained recovery was about a year and a half ago. I've had consistent cycles after joining the HA Society and kind of talking to you. And now I've just been in this space of what does recovery look like when you're trying to conceive and trying to regulate your hormones after torturing your body for 12 years. Mm, Oh, juicy stuff. So we're definitely going to cover that stuff at the end. Let's take this whole thing in chronological order. Um, You already kind of alluded to, you've been on and off since teens. What is it? What's your story? What happened? So like many super type A perfectionistic young women, I developed uh, maladaptive coping skills to my desire to control everything, which for me was anorexia when I was 17 to 19 years old was the worst of it. And actually also, I think like a lot of people that end up um, finding this resource, I was on the pill. So I thought I was fine. And then Mm. I went to my gynecologist and he congratulated me for losing weight and told me to keep walking. I decided to go off the pill because I had broken up with my boyfriend and I just didn't see the point in it. And then I just didn't get a period after that for months and months. And then finally it occurred to me that the weight loss, the over-exercise, the food restriction may be playing a role in that. And that, when I started seeing doctors around that time was when I got diagnosed with my eating disorder, which was um, a long journey to recover from. I mean, I think the worst of it was when I was a teenager, but when I went to college or what happened in college mostly, but when I you know, went to medical school and did my residency after that, I was still kind of in and out of those tendencies where I mean, I would restrict overexercise, et cetera. So, I mean, really, I think like I lost my period when I went off the pill, when I was super underweight, I got my first recovery period after going to treatment. Um, I did like a residential program for three months for my anorexia, but then very quickly lost some of that weight. And although I wasn't in like a terrible place anymore, I did lose my period. Um, and that cycle where I'd get like maybe two or three periods, lose it for eight months, et cetera, went on for years. And I think I'd probably not had a period in about two years by the time I initially joined the HA Society. Yeah. Question for you that, that came up. So at the, were you eventually, uh, you know, like told that you no longer have the eating disorder, but you still continue to have missing periods? You know, it's interesting. So I stayed like, I worked with a nutritionist and a therapist up until I um, graduated medical school, which feels like forever. ago now. Mm-hmm. Um, And I think at that point, 
they were more focused on getting me through school because I, everyone in the treatment facility told me like, you're never going to be able to go to medical school. You're going to relapse. Like it's going to be impossible for you to be a doctor. And I'm, I'm really happy that that didn't yeah. happen. Um, I, I did become a doctor and I'm super happy, but, um, no one Simple. ever really cared about my missing period. Like it was kind of like, oh yeah, yeah. Well, just make sure you don't like starve to death. Right. And that, and that was like the extent of the concern for you. I was more, I think, worried about it than my mm-hmm. team was like, cause for me, it's I'm like, oh, like, I mean, I, I totally lost my libido. Like I, you know, I'm like in my early twenties and, you know, going on dates and stuff. I'm like, eh. and I mean, I was just like, I never felt good. Like I never had energy, like super, like, you know, brittle nails, like all the things that we notice when, our hormones are just like, I remember getting my estrogen tested and they're like, oh yeah, your estrogen's at the level of a postmenopausal female. And I was like, okay. I'm 19, <laughs> so not normal, but yeah, no one really worried about it as much as I did. And I, I just kept putting it off until finally, like, I just, I was tired of feeling like crap all the time. Mm-hmm. Okay. So at what point did you decide, is that the point that the when you got those test results that, that you decided to stop pursuing period recovery? You know, I mean, I think, so when I initially got those test results, I was pushed because I was like, okay, like I need to recover. That was at the depth of my eating disorder. Mm. And, you know, by a proxy of, you know, going into treatment, I gained enough weight to, and literally did no exercise, you know, so that it was kind of like going all in by a professional mandate. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. Um, so at that point it was kind of like, I wasn't, it wasn't the focus, but I think when I really focused on recovering my period was when I met my now husband and I just, I felt that like spark. I knew that this was going to be for real and he's a physician too. And I couldn't like, he wasn't going to let me get away with that. He's like, Hey, that's not normal. Like you don't need a doctor to tell you that, but also you're a doctor. So you can't like BS yourself out of this. Right. Yeah. It's pretty trippy, huh? Yeah. It's like scary. It's like, you can, I mean, it's like, I rationally have known a lot of these things for a long time, but it's very easy to think that the rules do not apply to you and that, Oh, like, you know, I'm just really stressed. Like, I don't need to actually change anything about my life. I'm like, well, (laughs) yeah, yeah. I appreciate you saying that because you are far from the only, um, you know, health professional experiencing these thoughts, like, you know, doctors of all kinds, including like doctors of Chinese medicine or chiropractic or physiology. They're like, I know this stuff, but I just feel like it doesn't apply to me. And that's so interesting. Well, and I think it's super easy. Like you and I, I think went back and forth so many times about, I'd say, well, what about cardiovascular health? That's why I have to walk a certain number of steps a day. Or like, yeah, I can't stop doing cardio because heart disease runs in my family. And you were just like, Hey, like, you know, the cardio protective effects of estrogen. Right. And I'm like, okay, fine. Like you're right. But I've made up this story where the rules do not apply to me. You know, I, I can't like change my habits. Like you kind of just gaslight yourself into this state where Mm. you, even though, you know, these facts rationally, it's so easy to just keep doing the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, it's typically a safety thing, 
like a societal tribal safety thing. So it doesn't matter what you know to be true as a doctor. Um, there's like a, a piece of fear in there that's trying to keep you safe, like from that truth, which is really interesting. Um, when it, what, what do you feel like those fears really were or are? I mean, going back to when my eating disorder initially developed, it was bred out of just feeling totally out of control and lonely. I mean, my boyfriend at the time had gone to college and I was still in high school, wasn't getting along with my friend group, was spending all of my spare time working in a cancer research lab alone. And I think it was just like, I want to feel like I can control something in my life because nothing feels in control. And, you know, when I continued to kind of go back and forth on getting my period, not getting my period, I think any time that I was losing my period, it was okay, life is stressful, life is hard. You know, I feel like one way to make myself feel better is to know that I'm safe when it comes to, oh, well, at least I I know I ate this much food. I know I exercise this much. And to be honest, like I got a lot of praise even when I was not at a healthy weight. And I I latched onto that. And I, I still remember sitting in treatment, like thinking like, this is my identity. Like I'm fit. I'm thin like this. I can't imagine being anything other than this. And it, you just get so wrapped up in what will the world think of me if I'm not this image I've created of myself. Mm -hmm. And that is so strong. That fear is so strong because like, as humans, we are we are societal, we are tribal. It's just, it's just within our nature. And so that's what's so potent, particularly about an eating disorder is because it is tied so strongly to a truth, right? Which is like acceptance is important. But the thing that we think gets us acceptance is actually so far from the truth. Um, yeah, it's really complicated. But it's so funny, like, maybe not funny, but at least ironic looking back. I mean, when I was working out two hours a day doing CrossFit and running and, you know, lifting weights after CrossFit, all this crazy crap. At that time, I was very disconnected from myself. And I think I was extremely disconnected from others. Like it was very hard to open up and have like intimate, meaningful relationships with people. And I think about now, not only do I just have a lot more time and energy because I'm not in the gym like that, but I feel more grounded. And regardless of what my body looks like now relative to then, like I show up differently in those relationships. So like all those fears were totally invalid in reality, but that's kind of how we're conditioned. I think especially women in our world, like we're told our worth is tied up in what our bodies look like, which is just kind of a load of crap. Yeah, because I bet that now that you're able to have those more meaningful connections, that's actually where you start to get like the love and validation that you're looking for. It's like, oh, Shannon's showing up for me. She's there. She's listening. She's like able to participate. And then you start to get that reciprocated. Yeah. But when we're like obsessively trying to control, which is the irony is that we think we're going to get that from the control, but actually like because none of it's in your control, all it is, is wrangling cats. Yeah, for sure. Like I I think about how many times I canceled plans, like even like Mm -hmm. this is post like 
you know, thick of anorexia, but really in my days where I still had HA after that, I mean, oh, sorry, like I have to, you know, I wouldn't tell my friends, but I'd be going to the gym instead of meeting up with them. Or I just, I couldn't handle going out to eat because it didn't fit my special has to be this many calories, whatever made up rules. And I think about how much connection I lost out on. And now it's like, it's so different on the other side. Like, I'm so grateful that my friend can just spontaneously bring over authentic homemade Korean food. And I'm like eating Korean barbecue ribs in my life. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Instead of being like, oh no, how do I get out of this situation? Right. And like fear and like stress hormones are being released because your friend is rocked up with barbecue that you didn't plan on. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. So you kind of, you go down this path, you start learning about like, when was, when did you find out about HA specifically? So I kind of knew about it. I want to say just from at that time, probably when I was in college, it was like Tumblr, you know, you'd hear some people talking about it. Like, I don't, this is dating myself a little bit, but people talked about mini mod for eating disorder recovery back in the day. That was a big thing. That's like basically all in, but mini mod. Yeah. Oh, it was a whole I thing. I think that's like the precursor to all, <laughs> but, um, there were a lot of people like on Tumblr and internet spaces, especially with eating disorders, kind of talking about that. And as sad as it sounds, I kind of knew about it because in the eating disorder, community, the more negative side of it, people would kind of look at that as a sign of victory, like not getting your period. So yes, I think that was my first exposure to it. It was actually in a more negative way where I was like, I've made it. I'm an anorexic now. Yeah. Like <laughs> didn't, awful. yeah. Didn't Tumblr have like a whole situation where there oh, was yeah. like eating disorder glorification? Bro, Anna. Yeah. All that. It was bad news bears. Bro, Anna. Mm-hmm. Horrifying. Yeah. Uh, okay. Ah, yeah. Right. But I think I found no period now what before, um, coming to you and the HA society. Like I, I had found that book and I was like, Oh, that sounds like me. And then I bought the book and I was like, Oh, that sounds hard. So (laughs) yeah, (laughs) kind of just like, didn't do anything with it. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Um, something about you that is interesting is that you, yeah like you research and contemplate a lot um and you take steps forward although I'll be them sometimes small and, and slow and steady you know probably from just like fear uncertainty that kind of thing but you keep going and I like I like that about you I find it really interesting so at what point were you like okay well maybe I'll try something similar <laughs> I think what it was for me is like my physical symptoms were getting to the point where I just had to accept that the only way to change them was to do something different. And I noticed honestly, probably one of the biggest negative symptoms I had was my extremely uncontrolled anxiety. Like my anxiety was never worse than when I had HA and it was like palpable. Like I could just like sit there and like shake. And, you know, I'm, I'm never going to say that I'm this super Zen, never anxious person. That's, that's just not my, uh, natural state. But I I mean, now I'm like, I wouldn't say that I'm like crippled by anxiety. Like when I had HA and I I think at that time I was like, at this point, I just want to feel better. Like, you know, I'm always cold. I'm 
always wanting to crawl out of my skin, like fine, like I'll try eating more and see if I can like have a better experience day to day. Mm. Do you think the consistency with that plan has helped you with your anxiety or was it other therapies and things like that that helped you with that? What's really interesting is like, I mean, I think now I'm in a place where other tools, like I meditate, I journal, I do yoga, like, you know, I have spiritual practices that help ground me. Those things actually help me now. Whereas before I ever embarked on truly recovering from HA, those things were kind of just like, I couldn't even really experience them, you know, like I would do them, but it was like, I didn't feel any benefit from it. Like, I think I was just in such a stressed out high cortisol. Oh my God, we're hungry. Fire alarms going off state that all the things that are helpful were just like throwing like, you know, little drops of water on a giant forest fire. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I ask because it's, um, you know, people can tell us to meditate till cows come home, but if we're, if we're running zero estrogen and you know, like we're just, we're going to be in an anxiety state. And so sometimes it takes a bit of white knuckling into like eating more and just getting started with the process eventually for like traditional stress management to work. A hundred percent. Like, I I don't think I physiologically was in a place where my body couldn't be stressed. Like I had to feed my body Mm. and give it what it needed to even be able to relax. Yeah. 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 Okay. So I want to know what that looks like for you. So when you started going into, like, if you even remember your first, your first steps, uh, getting, getting your cycle back. You know, I'll admit, um, I was able to get a consistent cycle going like not all in, but most in, if that makes sense. Uh Um, you know, I, I just, I cut out, I stopped running entirely. I used to be real big runner, did not run. Um, and really if I did any cardio, it was like very like infrequent, you know, and I think at most it would have been 30 minutes once a week kind of deal. I, I didn't, I let that go. Cause I knew that that was something that I had an addictive relationship with. And then it was holding me back. Um, I kept lifting weights, but I I've competed in powerlifting before. Um, ironically, when I was probably like at my weakest, <laughs> like God, I would love to do it now and actually do it right. But, um, I didn't, trained to that intensity anymore when I did lift weights. And I was someone that had to work out five days a week. And I like chipped away at that to where three or maybe three and yoga was fine or something like that. And it was just subtle. And like, I think a huge thing too, is just not tracking my workouts. Like I was like very meticulous, like it has to be this many calories. And now I'm like, this crap is all inaccurate anyway. Like who cares? Like <laughs> not like, what's the point of like making myself do another set of squats because I want the calories on my watch to say something like, I, I just kind of like dropped that. And food was a huge part of it. I think the biggest part of it for me, like even more than the exercise was I got to a point where I was able to eat things I hadn't eaten in years. I loved going out to eat again I was consistently like, even when not going out to eat and then, you know, having foods I don't usually have, even at home was consistently eating more than I was before. And like, 
I'm realizing as active as I generally am, like in my job and in day-to-day life, like I just needed more than I thought I needed. And I couldn't compare myself to calculators and other women. Like I'm tall, I'm fidgety. Like I just needed more fuel than I ever thought I would. Yeah. And I think that, you know, I've always kept in mind for you too, like med med school and, you know, being in your first years of that and having very little control over your schedule, um, being on call, like these are all constantly changing variables in your life that are highly stressful. Um, even though they may not, they may not, even though sometimes I'm sure they are, they may not be acutely like, you know, panic there. You're always on and always having to like show up. And that is not like a standard situation. Yeah, I think that's one thing you really helped me to see was that I live already a pretty stressful life because of my job. Like I, I I'm a I'm an oncologist, so you know, a lot of life and death and heavy situations day to day. I mean, I love my job, but like yeah, it, it takes a toll and you know, last year especially in my first year of fellowship, I mean, I was working sometimes 36 hours with an hour of sleep, um, multiple times a week. And I think you helped me to see like, Hey, like if you're going to do this and continue to cycle, like you're going to have to like take some extra steps. Like you absolutely cannot have coffee before breakfast. You should not work out when you haven't slept in over 24 hours, like seemingly very obvious things, but it, I was able to keep cycling, even working those call shifts, like once or twice a week for an entire year, which is huge for me when before I just used to lose my cycle, like the drop of a hat. Yeah. I think we had this conversation kind of recently where like we can um, get annoyed or frustrated when the chart doesn't look perfect, but sometimes you also have to zoom out and be like, Hey, I kind of made a few choices about like my life and my profession. And, and so this chart just kind of accurately reflects that I'm doing my best. Yeah. And I think that's the key is like, okay, control what you can control. Like, obviously I cannot control if someone's paging me at three in the morning, but I can totally control like, okay, am I going to fuel myself? Am I going to rest? Am I going to find a way to let go of all of the stress I have left over from getting woken up all night? You know, like the, that's been huge. I think it's just learning to adapt to my circumstances instead of just like white knuckling my way through. Yeah. I'm feeling, yeah. Feeling like we're all, we're all doing this. Like, no, we're not. (laughs) Trust me. Like I work from home. (laughs) I'm sleeping. Like I'm not being paged at 3am. You know what I'm saying? So uh, yeah, I think everyone does need to kind of like take some, some stock of their, of their circumstances, be like, okay, well, like what is actually, um, you know, probably more psychologically challenging or even just physically taxing that I'm giving it credit for, because in this world, we do not give stresses and like enough credit. No, even the good stressors, like, mm-hmm. you know, I, I mostly work from home a good part of the year now. Cause I'm, um, I do clinical trial trials and I'm more research oriented, but, you know, I, I even think like, okay, like, days when my husband is gone on call, um, and I'm like managing everything at home, like, even though I'm here, I'm like, yeah, like it is kind of stressful when I have to, you know, take care of all of the housework and plan our food and shop and do all those things. I'm like, you know, it, 
even if it's just mild, good stuff, like going to the grocery store, like having a busy packed schedule does mm-hmm. take its toll. So it's like, how do you counteract that with things that really give you that chance to breathe and let go of all of those stressors? Yeah. Yeah. We are always thinking about like the next thing, like, okay, I have tomorrow off. And because I've been working for the last like six days, there's tons of housework to do. And that's all you do all day. And you're, you know, walking around the house and doing all these chores just as much as you would at home. And it's just like, when do we stop and do and just relax? You know, that that happens to all of us. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Okay. So we we talked like about, okay, you were able to, to cycle on all of this stuff. What though do you think was um, this most recent time now that you've been like a year and a half or so consistent? What do you think were the most important things for you to so like get that initial period? Hey, are you trying to recover and maybe even fall pregnant naturally? I thought that might be you. And if so, we have created our best ever yet resource for you. Totally free. This is a masterclass. I've called it my masterclass because I have put everything into this, right? This masterclass is designed for you if you have HA or have had HA and are dealing with suboptimal cycles and you're serious about restoring those babies to full optimization and you want to create the ideal foundation for a pregnancy. This is going to be for you. So in this masterclass, I'm going to provide you a lot of things, including a lot of case studies, mine, Ashley's and Mishi's, as well as lots of our past clients and what their challenges were and what they had to do to overcome it. And we cover a really wide variety of types of cases of HA. So everything from primary amenorrhea and missing periods for years and years to short-term amenorrhea and what we did to handle that situation as well and how long it took these people to go from HA to pregnant with this system and how long it took them to go from HA to ovulating of course with this system so lots of information lots of case studies lots of stats we go through why this is not a weight gain plan and how we actually divide you into phases the three phases of HA and determine what your starting point is so that you have a good idea of where you need to start with your actual changes and lifestyle and nutrition changes. We even cover questions like HA and people with a normal BMI and recovery for people who have had HA for too long. There's so much in this 60-minute masterclass. Y'all, I'm impressed. And at the end, I'll also be running you through how to get a free HTMA, hair tissue mineral analysis through us, which is a part of our process for recovery and preconception clients that we're happily going to give you for free 99 as a massive thank you, of course, for joining the masterclass. So go to the hasociety.com forward slash masterclass or head to our website and you'll find a link for it and find when the next available presentation is going to be. That's the hasociety.com forward slash masterclass. I think number one, food, number two, exercise. Like I tried to skirt my way around that for years. I meditated. I like 
wrote in my journal. I took supplements. I did all of the other things, but like we've talked, I think a lot in the group about like moving the big rocks. Like if you're moving a bunch of little pebbles, like it's still not the same as moving one big rock. So the nutrition for me was a huge part of it. And just, yeah, like the, the, the thing that enabled me to eat more and be okay with working out less, I think really was just letting go of comparison. Like the cool thing about the HA society, I think was seeing that there are other women like me and realizing that, Hey, just because a lot of people around me, like in my real life, don't eat as much as I do. That doesn't mean that's like correct. And especially doesn't mean it's correct for me. Like I had the biggest issues and such a hold back from recovery was just feeling like I'm this ravenous beast. No other woman eats like I do. What is wrong with me? And just letting that crap go and being like, listen, I need what I need. I'm not going to compare myself. I'm not going to make apologies for it. Sometimes I eat as much as my husband who's got like 60 pounds on me and that's cool. Totally. I love it. And it's like, and sometimes other people are under eating too. Like we just don't know. We don't know. We don't know. And we can only focus on ourselves, but yeah, it can be really hard, a really hard part to get past. Yeah. And I think just that I still struggle with this, but it's a work in progress just learning that nothing is static and just like the stressors are dynamic. So are like the body's needs and responses to those stressors. Like I've totally realized in the past few months that luteal phase hunger is a thing for me. Like I get super hungry. I'm tired. Like I, I literally am just like, give me a bowl of popcorn, put me on the couch. Like I'm done. And for someone that's like, oh, I'm used to being super efficient and productive and, you know, why am I hungry when I'm laying around on the couch? Like I've kind of had to counteract those voices and be like, man, my bar- my body is a lot smarter than I am. And I've got to let the story and the plan go a little bit. Yeah. 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 When you look at the cycle, you see how different it is from week to week, like throughout that four or so weeks, how can you expect to always be operating at the same level of energy like it makes sense that you ebb and flow and so when we can go and i yeah like that whole um the control thing it's like uh swimming in a rip current Mm -hmm. if you if you ever did like surf like what state do you live in again i grew up in florida so i know what you mean perfect yes (laughs) it's like on our school curriculum so don't swim in the rips but we are all swimming in the rip and it's just pulling us out and under but the key to getting out of the riptide is to relax and float and it will just pull you out to see and spit you out there and then you can swim around. And that's like such a helpful analogy for me when I think about um, how like the harder we control, the harder things get, the more you go with the flow and be like, okay, how do I feel? All right, maybe I'll do this, sit on the couch with some popcorn, the easier things get. And then you have the momentum to kind of keep going. Yeah. And it's amazing. Like when you do actually give in and rest and listen to those signals, I mean, you reap the benefits tenfold. Like I know I told you I was on vacation uh, up at our cabin in the woods in Michigan a couple of weeks ago, and I'm always terrible at sleeping, but up there, I mean, I was sleeping like eight, 10 hours a night and I just went Nature, Nature does that. Nature and no computer screens, but, um, I digress, like just giving myself permission to sleep for 10 hours and then like 
cozy up with a cup of coffee and read a book and not get out of my pajamas till like 10 or 11 that's been so liberating and it's like I now I'm like oh I get it when I give in and I rest and I listen to those signals like I come back feeling so restored and it's worth it like if I white knuckled my way through that you don't get that same sense of like on the other side having your energy back in the past is the idea of like going to a cabin in the woods and sleeping for 10 hours and then getting up and like continuing to just be cozy are there like judgments or like a, like a little part inside of you that that's like be productive you know because that's what happens to me and I'm like no this is good do that do it and it's much easier now but at the beginning it was like inside I'm like relaxing but inside I'm screaming <laughs> yeah a hundred percent I mean I've been going to this cabin my whole life and I remember in the thick of like my HA like not even you know kind of post worst of eating disorder, thick of still not being recovered from HA. I was like up and at him. I, you know, had to start pacing around the kitchen because I was like, okay, I got to get going. Like, you know, I, I've got to go ski or run or do something. I mean, a day in the life then would have been interesting. Yeah. Like go, go, go have my coffee, put off breakfast as long as I can. I mean, even when I was day-to-day -day life, like back in Florida, I had to get up, go for a walk immediately, would walk two miles to get a cup of coffee, come back and then have breakfast like way later. Like that was, that was my life. I was just like running on cortisol. And it, now my favorite part is I wake up so slowly if I don't have to be at the hospital and I'm drinking my coffee. I'm in my pajamas. I am in no rush and it is glorious. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Isn't it funny to look back and be like, what even is my personality? You know, when so much can actually be, so much of it is dictated by just like the stress running through your body. Um, and we start to identify as like, I'm super productive and hyper and I do all of these things before 10 a.m. Um, like, do you? <laughs> yeah. Like, do you have to? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. I love it. So yeah. And and I like to always remind people too when we tell these stories, it's so easy to like listen to a story and be, you know, 40 minutes in and years and years of work have been summed up in like a short conversation. You know what I mean? So before we kind of get into like today and cycles and all of that stuff, what would you, I don't know, tell people who really resonate because there are people who are going to resonate with your story, right? Like, yeah, I have a similar job. I have a similar history. I struggle to let go of those things. Like, what would you say to someone in the thick of that right now? I mean, to be honest, I still struggle to let go of some things. And I think it's a never ending journey, which sounds exhausting, but it's much easier now because every time I've let go of something, I've collected evidence that it wasn't as hard as I thought. It wasn't as scary as I thought. And it turned out better than I thought. So I think the, the hardest first step is just letting go of that first thing. And what I've realized with myself and Danny, you definitely know this about me by now is I am a little bit more tentative and cautious. And I, I take baby steps. Like I struggle with the huge leap. I think that's why going totally all in terrified me when I initially learned about that. And you know, would it have been faster if I did that? Yeah. But I kind of 
my own journey has been such that I've convinced myself to take a million baby steps and slowly but surely have gotten to where I want to go. So I guess just don't discount the power of one small step and use that momentum. Like even for me, something silly, like, okay, I'm going to swap one, you know, intense workout for doing yoga on my floor or, okay, I was meticulous that I had to get 10,000 steps. If I'm not ready to stop counting steps, what about 7,000 and just making these small trade-offs that makes it easier than at some point I'm like, Oh, I don't even need to count these steps or, Oh, like, I don't really care how many times a week I do X, Y, Z workout. Like it, everyone's on their own journey. And if you're a baby steps kind of person, like just keep taking those steps. Yeah. Yeah. Many of our conversations have been about, have been like, okay, what, what step can we take here? What's the next step here? What's the next step here? And like building each on top of each other. That's been cool. And I think that's like with the caveat, don't, get out of doing the work by committing only to baby steps. Cause I mean, at, at some point, like you're not going anywhere. Right. But I think if baby steps are what you need to get started, like that's okay. I think at the beginning, I told myself I can't recover because I can't do all of these things all at once, but like, that's fine. Like just get yourself going and then you'll have the confidence to do more and bigger things. Totally. Yeah. Cause it's, it's not going to be like, Oh, next week or next month or next year, you're suddenly going to be willing to do the big things. So if you're not willing to do the big things, start with the small, um, to get yourself there. Yeah. And I, I now feel like after taking a million baby steps, I can wrap my head around taking those bigger <laughs> exactly. steps. Like at some point you kind of just get, you'll take baby steps long enough. Like you'll be like, okay, I'm kind of bored of this and I'm ready to like make some moves. And like, I have enough confidence now that I can do this. Yes. Okay. And, and I, and I tried the baby steps and they, yeah, they take too long. Yeah. Like, let's go. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> okay. Okay. So you're like a year and a half in almost, um, you've been cycling regularly challenges for m- most people do not have a perfect cycle all the time. 365. It's just not real reality. Um, do we aim for it? Yeah, of course. Right. Like just as a doctor, you're trying to get people to have like textbook, perfect lab results. They may not get there, but you know, it's something that you're going to strive for. Um, and so that's always our goal, uh, for you, luteal phase would typically be the issue. You tend to ovulate just fine. Um, would you add, would you add anything to that? Yeah, I think the low progesterone has been the uh, devil on my shoulder for the past year or so. I was actually looking back, Danny, at like some of our first emails. And when I was first charting my cycle a year and a half ago-ish or a year ago, my luteal phase was like six days and I wasn't ovulating till like day 23 or something. (laughs) And it was crazy because at the time I went to a gynecologist And I had my labs drawn and they tell you, oh, draw it on day 20 of your cycle or what, I forget what day they told me to get it drawn, but, uh, or maybe 22, like eight days after you're supposed to ovulate on day 14, you know, like textbook. And they're like, oh, your progesterone's low. Like maybe you should try gaining some more weight. Doesn't look like you're ovulating. I'm like, um, I'm getting my period every month. So that's when you and I kind of figured out through the charting. I'm like, I am ovulating. I'm just not maintaining my luteal phase and my progesterone's tanking super early, but 
I mean, I think that has, it's almost like the last mile of the marathon, right? It's like, you come so far and you're like, I've got a cycle, I'm doing great. And then you're like, seriously, like there's still this thing that I have to fix, but it's the big boss at the end of the game. Like you have to fight the big boss. (laughs) You've done all the other levels or like you've completed the challenges that got you here that were more, but now it's like, this is the big, the big one. Yeah. And I think for me, this is like, okay, the ultimate question is how quickly do you want results? Right? Like the baby steps are not helpful when you want big results quickly. So my, my husband and I just started trying to conceive last month. And now I'm kind of getting to that point where I'm like, I'm willing to make bigger changes because I don't want to dilly dally and spend months and months making tiny changes, hoping that I'll have a long enough luteal phase to maintain a pregnancy. Totally. Yeah. Um, so you, uh, yeah, have only just been recently ready to like actually try and conceive, which has been, you know, a blocker for you in the past because you're like, well, I'm not trying to get pregnant. So I don't have like a huge motivator and I'm like super comfortable. I really (laughs) wish I could like say to myself in the past and to anyone else dealing with this right now, like, don't wait. Like, why would you want to put off dealing with this problem until it is a problem? Like take care of it before you're like, oh man, I'm trying to get pregnant. And you know, I really have to make major shifts because I put this off until now. Like, I I wish I could just go back and be like, hey, fix this so that when you want to conceive, you can conceive. Yeah. But, but like, you probably wouldn't have listened. You're right. You know me. (laughs) (laughs) Because we did have those exact conversations. Um, and, and that's what, that is, what's interesting about it is like, uh, we spent have spent a majority of the time on this one challenge, right? That's like probably linked to those big rocks that have been hardest for you to move. And that's just because of, you know, fear, lack of like strong motivation. You know, there's probably also just a part of you that's just like, I'm busy. <laughs> don't like, I'm busy, I'm bored. I don't want to like keep working on this all of the time. You know, I'm like going around and around in circles. Um, and there, you know, there was conversations about like, okay, well, just, just so we know when things look like this pregnancy is hard. So when you are ready, you know, this will be really important. And so we did know that. Right. And I'm saying this out like, cause there are people, there are other people who can experience this. Um, we did know that, but even still, when it came to it, that we're ready to conceive and that problem was still there. Yeah. How did, how did that feel? I mean, I'm so stubborn, you know, this, and mm-hmm. I struggle a lot with change. I think a big part of how I deal with being in a high stress emotional field is I do get a little bit attached to certain routines and practices in my life. Like I'm like, I need something to feel stable. Right. So I mean, I think now it's kind of just like, okay, like I can maintain a sense of stability and do what I need to do to get pregnant. It's just going to take a little bit more investment into the things that make me feel stable that aren't like, oh, like this is how I eat. This is how I work out. And I mean, I I think I've certainly come a long way. Like I've had charts lately with double digit luteal phases, which is literally double what it was a year ago. It's like, and surprised and excited, not surprised because 
you've been a huge help, but I'm excited and surprised at myself that I was actually able to get that point. Um, but yeah, now I think it just feels like if you're constantly asking yourself your why, it kind of forces you to do things that maybe you're not comfortable doing. And, you know, yeah, if I could go back, I would have, I wish I could have like reasoned with my stubborn self a little more and been like, Hey, your why is pretty big. So why put this off, but everyone's on their own journey. And yeah, I mean, it, I'm, um, I'm at a point where I'm kind of just like, okay, I've had HA in the past. I was able to get over that. I had super irregular length cycles. Now they've regulated. I was ovulating day 23. Now I'm ovulating, like I've ovulated on day 14, which is wild. So it's like recognizing like, Hey, like it feels like a lot of work. You're doing all this work, but you're getting places and you just got to keep doing it. And like, what would it look like to take a bigger step? You know, you've proven to yourself that like these things work. So if I'm not getting pregnant, you know, can I trust that if I go deeper in this direction, you know, maybe I'll get out what I put in sort of thing that, and that's where I see you are now. Um, Yeah. I'm kind of at that point where it's like, okay, like, do I need an exercise break to really get over that hump? And even if it's just like a few weeks just to reset and see what that feels like, you know, it's just constantly like questioning what's my next big rock that I could move. And even though I'm like doing way less than I used to, and I'm not doing cardio and I'm not, you know, power lifting <laughs> like I was, it's like, okay, like, is it worth just really letting go of control and really moving this big rock to get there? And I think I'm at, a, if I'm being totally honest, because I don't, I don't want to paint this picture. Like I recovered from HA and I'm perfect and I never do anything wrong. Cause that's garbage, right? Like old habits die hard. Those are coping skills that are neural pathways deep in your brain. And it's going to be tempting to use them when stress comes up. Um, you know, yeah. Like when I feel bloated and when I'm like super stressed, like I'm going to be more tempted to go for a walk than I am to like write a journal about my feelings. Right. Like I know that about myself, but you know, it's just like yesterday when I was like, God, like, I'd love to go to hot yoga. That's like all I want to do right now. I just had to ask, I'm like, is this in line with my goal of getting pregnant? No, it is not. So I didn't go. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I know. Danny, I thought you'd be proud of me. (laughs) Yeah. It's just like having to ask those hard questions. Like, is this actually taking me closer to my goal? And a lot of times I think the things I'm tempted to do are not bringing me closer to my goal. And I have to call myself out on my own. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Like, look at you. Like walk, like walking yourself through those instead of just making it in an emotional or impulsive decision being like, okay, there's my emotional impulsive desire. Now let me take my skills, analyze them and then like make the, the best decision for where I'm really trying to go. Because it's like my emotions and my fears are like trying to help me they have a, they have a seat at the table, but we can't like just let them drive the bus. Yeah. Yeah. It's really like that pivotal moment when you get to decide what to do next and, Mm. you know, realizing that while it feels like you're taking control to give in to whatever urge you have, whether it's, I don't need carbs with this meal or, Oh, I can go to hot yoga. It's just one time. It'll be fine. It's like, okay, 
I'm not actually more in control if I do these things. I'm relinquishing control to a piece of me that is not taking me where I want to go. Yes. Isn't that so crazy? But it feels like control. Yeah. Yeah. It's that, it, I mean, those old habits, I mean, they kind of give you that rush where you're like, oh yeah, like this feels good. I, I feel that, that rush of, you know, sweating or not feeling full after a meal, like that, that old goal, right. Of just like, I want to feel this certain way that I think I'm supposed to feel because I want to be like fit, light, whatever, like this, this icky stuff. And it's like that there's still a piece of my brain that I think sometimes is like, yeah, that'll feel good. But then I think about, okay, um, waking up to pee six times a night, having terrible sleep, no libido, really brittle nails, like really high anxiety. Like none of that felt good. And those are the habits that are going to bring me to that place. Dude, look at that. You summed it up perfectly. Thanks. Um, yeah, that that's so, is also true. Very inspiring. Thank you so much, Shannon, for sharing. Um, you know, I know right now you're in your conception journey. You, you know, there's work to do, but you're so close and you're putting I just see you like that's why I, I was like are you ready to come on the show now because <laughs> you're um you're at a point where if you, you're at your final boss and what, yeah. whatever is in the way of like you getting pregnant which is low progesterone which is probably linked to you know just like the crazy stresses that sometimes you deal with mixed with coping mechanisms that maybe sometimes win, maybe sometimes don't win. Um, just pr- bringing that all together and saying, okay, right now my goal is to get pregnant. So no more conflicting, no more conflicting like behaviors, essentially. Like this is what I'm trying to do. Um, and because I guess like to back up just for one second, um, that's like a part of life is like when we're not trying to get pregnant and, and it's easier to like not go all in in any one particular direction because your life isn't all in on any one particular direction. Yeah. But now once you are, it's much easier to say, okay, well, like, let's just make my baby, my body a five-star baby hotel. <laughs> like, let's focus in on that. That's where you're at. So I'm super excited. Um, I'm sure everyone will be so in the, in the society, once they hear this, will be so keen to know if, and when you um, how your progress is going. So make sure you tell everyone. Yeah. I'm a, I think right now the work is also, you know, in addition to just micro tweaking those habits mm-hmm. and, you know, in some cases, macro tweaking to really get my body safe and ready to carry a baby. I think it's just, yeah, like trying to conceive is its own journey. And I, Mm -hmm. I, uh, I didn't appreciate how much it would force me to face my issues with wanting control of everything and wanting to micromanage everything. Like there is no more out of control experience than waiting all month, trying to know, okay, this is my fertile window. And then this is the two week wait. Like you are just in those times. And it's like, (laughs) I can't control my fertile window is I can't control the two week wait is two weeks long. Like it's, it's hard, but I think it's good. You know, like when you're up against that and you're realizing like, Hey, like 
this is a point of growth for me. Like I'm ready to mm-hmm. maybe in all aspects of my life, learn to let go of a little bit of that need to just like control everything. Cause I, I've even just two months into this journey of trying to conceive, I'm like, okay, if I keep like micromanaging and overanalyzing and trying to control everything to the extent that I am, like, I don't know how we will ever conceive. <laughs> like, it's just like, why make this stressful? You know? Exactly. Um, so, so true. I love that. I love everything about your story. I love everything that you share. This is so great. Um, I'm so honored to have you come on and share your story. So thank you, Shannon. We appreciate you. Thanks so much, Danny. And yeah, I'd, I am so grateful for the HA Society and for you because I honestly, you know, 10 years ago, I didn't even think that I, my body would ever get to a place where having kids was an option. So just like to be here yeah. now and to know that doing these things actually helps and, you know, actually, I mean, my whole life is better. So like, I couldn't be more excited that the Chase Society is out there because it, it kind of, for me, it gave me hope and helped me do things that I just wasn't really able to do on my own. Thanks. We appreciate that makes me feel good (laughs) (laughs) awesome well thank you so much shannon and everybody else and see you guys next week bye hey there it's me danny and i want to tell you about temp drop as a fertility awareness method tracking option so many of you guys know that we actually recommend the fertility awareness method both as you're going through recovery and 100 after you have gotten some cycles back and you're starting to move forward for the rest of your reproductive years. So TempDrop itself is a wearable fertility monitor, and we love it. It's a wearable device, so you put it around your arm, and you can use that instead of taking your temperature manually with a thermometer each morning. So I'm personally a big fan of the manual tracking, all of us at the HA Society are, and that's the method that we use, you know, just using a good old thermometer. We use that with our clients, because it's the best way to use it as a diagnostic tool, as a practitioner. And it's also the best way to ensure if you're trying to avoid pregnancy that you don't get pregnant. However, manual temping for many reasons is just not always an option. When you're in the middle of recovery, again, we do recommend manual temping, but once you're cycling, the temp drop is actually a really great hack. So it gives you basically everything you need to effortlessly track your fertility status, like where you are in your monthly cycle. So you wear the temp drop sensor while you're sleeping for accurate basal body temperature readings without the stress of early morning wake-ups. So I personally love this because with a toddler, my wake-up times are all over the place and the occasional sleep disruptions make using an oral thermometer a lot more difficult. So TempDrop's accompanying charting app enables you to track an array of symptoms alongside your basal body temperature. This includes tracking your cervical mucus, if you've been using OPKs, and then it also gives you sleep insights too. So you can combine these fertility signs all in one place, and that will help you identify your fertile window, confirm ovulation, plan for your period, and if you're trying to get pregnant, you know, identify your whether or not you are pregnant. So whether you're trying to conceive or avoiding pregnancy or you want to chart for health reasons like HA recovery, making sure your cycle is not slipping back in the HA direction, 
TempDrop makes fertility awareness accessible to all women, even if you don't have regular cycles or sleeping patterns. So track your ovulation in real time with the TempDrop, and we are lucky enough to have a 15% off code. So if you go to their website, they're usually having a sale, but you can stack this code on top of the existing code. So just go to tempdrop.thehasociety.com and use the code AFHA Society. I think too, if you just go to tempdrop.com and, and use um, AFHA Society at the checkout, that will work too. So happy temping and good luck. This episode is brought to you by Grassland Nutrition Beef Liver Capsules. Did you know that in terms of nutrient density, beef liver actually blows vegetables and fruits out of the water? If you're a client of mine, you have already been instructed to eat beef liver either fresh or in capsule form. I recommend it for anyone and everyone who is, of course, dealing with amenorrhea and fertility challenges out there, but I may even recommend it for just everyone in general. Get your husbands on it. Get your partners on it. If you have a history of HA and add on top of that, maybe a history of the pill, maybe you've been pregnant before, you know, through treatments or other, like you've just, your body's been through anything, you know, you're absolutely 100% dealing with a nutrient deficiency of some kind. And while it's true that testing is going to be the best way to understand those exact deficiencies, Eating nutrient-dense real food is going to be one of the most important next steps that you take with or without testing. So I've been using and recommending Grassland Nutrition Beef Liver Capsules for years now. And the capsule form makes it so easy to get your liver in every day. And I appreciate the transparency of this product in particular above others. So in case you're wondering, it's completely natural. This is freeze-dried beef liver in capsules. It's organic. It's made from Australian beef. And my favorite of their products is the liver with kelp because of the iodine from the kelp, which is important for overall thyroid function, which is often low in women with underperforming hormones. So rather than eat seaweed snacks every day, I get to take this beef liver with the kelp for my iodine. So if you're recovering or working on a fertility journey right now, do not skimp the nutrient-rich source of beef liver. Get 10% off your order with the HA Society and support your favorite podcast along the way. They ship to most countries, so you should be covered. Just go to grasslandnutrition.net and use HA Society, just HA Society, at the checkout for the 10% off. That's grasslandnutrition.net with the code HA Society. Thank you so much for listening today, guys. Please subscribe to the podcast. And if you could head to iTunes specifically and leave a rating or review, that would help so much because it makes it easier for other people with HA who are Googling around to find the podcast really easily. So if you do that, you're doing a service to all of the women.